Blog Talk Radio. crazy because I don't have my co-host with me this evening. But uh, I am Thomas Watts from Touchdown Alabama Magazine, and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. We have a special show tonight. Because I'm by myself as a host, I uh, have to admit that I'm not going to be able to talk, and you probably don't want to hear me talk by myself for two hours. Luckily, I have put up the uh, the BAM signal, if you will, and I have found a guest that is going to prepare us stupendiferously for spring football. I'm going to go on and bring him on. It's our good friend, frequent guest, William Redfish Barger. Fish, how you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing great, Thomas. How about you? Man, uh, I, I'm great. I, I have the show going together. The uh, The duct tape and bailing wire is holding for one more go. <laughs> hey, man. You, you you MacGyver it any way you want to. Great. Well, you know, let's get right into it. And I, I think you would agree, but, you know, you're free to disagree with me. Today has not really been a, a red-letter day for Crimson Tide football. And it is not because, you know, we've had a season-ending injury or anything like that. It's the two decommitments from today, Cam Akers and Jake Fromm. Now, let's start out with Fromm. Fromm, for fans that are unfamiliar with him, is a 2017 quarterback. He flipped. He was a, He's a top 100 quarterback from some services. He flipped from Alabama to Georgia. Fish, can you shed some light on that situation for our listeners? Yeah, and, and I, I really do feel like he's the best quarterback in the 2017 class. I, I've you know, if he does the the camp combine circuit this summer, I, I expect him to end up being a, you know, a five star. He's got that kind of talent. But, you know, this is a, you know, I would I would kind of compare him maybe to AJ McCarron, um, you know, in the sense that you know he, he grew up a Georgia Bulldog fan. Um, you know, Kirby Smart was heavily involved in his recruitment. Um, you know, his father and Kirby have a you know a friendship. Um, that goes back several years. Um, was it a surprise? Um, you know, to a certain extent, I think if you look at, you know, the way he came over this past weekend for the junior day and was helping Alabama recruit, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. But I don't think um, it was a huge surprise when you look at all the, um, you know, the backstories involved with him. Um, and, you know, again, you know, you, you look at this as an adult and as a fan, and you want these kids to go where they really and truly are comfortable and they want to go. And uh, that's always been, I think, the, the the place that he wanted to be. I, I think the way that, you know, Georgia under Mark Rick pursued Jacob Eason, um, you know, had a little bit to do with him committing to Alabama. Um, but, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it worked out for him to go where he was really comfortable. And, you know, um, KJ McCarron that grew up an Alabama fan, he's got the opportunity to go to his, you know, in-state school, the school that he grew up following and was a fan of. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this stuff, Thomas, that you referred to with him and Cam Akers, um, you know, I've got a, a good friend of mine that's as a, um, an old Miss, you know, former old Miss offensive lineman from the 90s. And he, he started telling me back in December that Cam Akers was going to decommit. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, 
you know, speculation out there that maybe Cam Akers is going to end up at Tennessee or Georgia. But I'll be shocked if he doesn't end up with the Ole Miss Rebels, um, you know, by February of 2017 next year on National Signing Day. I think, you know, the stuff that you were referring to about, um, you know, the angst with Alabama fans losing Jake Fromm and Cam Akers, I think you have to kind of bundle it um, with with the – the, the, the Terrence Ferguson decommitment uh, with basketball earlier this week as well. So that's, you know, kind of three gut punches in the last week. Absolutely. And the Terrence Ferguson thing, I guess I have to admit, I've told you before, Fish, that I'm a big basketball fan. That was my sport when I was younger. And uh, the, the struggles of the team on the court and then losing a gem of a player, it's uh, – Gut punch is the right word for it. And basketball recruiting, and correct me if I'm wrong here again, just to illuminate for our listeners, basketball recruiting is, in my mind, is kind of a different animal than football recruiting because you're literally recruiting these guys for years. And I realize that Nick Saban does continuously recruit the best of the best for more than just the February to February block. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But I feel like basketball recruiting is something where if you you have to develop relationships with AAU coaches and you have to know kids for forever and a day. And whether we want to admit it or not, Alabama's not Kentucky. Alabama's not Kansas. Alabama's not Duke. Alabama's not North Carolina in basketball. So there's, there's, there's work to be done, but uh, – if there's a guy that can do it, it's Avery Johnson. But, uh, you know, on the Terrence Ferguson thing, you know, he visited the week before, and the I, I kind of felt like the coach speak of his decommitment was, well, frankly, coach speak. What are you hearing about that situation, if you don't mind me continuing to pick your brain about recruits before we get into spring football? Is that done, or are we, is it still a dogfight with Alabama kind of trailing because there's some superpowers involved? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you just, you know, you know, had had hammer meat nail there for a second. You know, um, there, there's a lot of people out there that think that, you know, um, he's going to end up at Kansas. And, you know, that's, you know, when you, when you start talking about football recruiting, Kansas is a non-factor. Uh, but when you talk about basketball recruiting, they're a big factor. And you're exactly right. Um, the, 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 the way that the basketball stuff is laid out, you know, that they start identifying guys in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, you know, it's, it's a much more, um, dirty, I don't want to call it dirty, but that's, that's kind of what it is. Um, there, there's colorful, so many people, colorful, colorful. <laughs> there's some, that's, that's the exact <laughs> adjective I was looking for. Um, you know, because of the way the whole thing plays out, you know, with the, the AAU circuit and the summer camps and, you know, the way it all shakes out. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, certainly that's a, you know, a big blow to Avery Johnson. He's done so many positive things, but, um, you know, that was a guy that, that I think they really had, had kind of sunk their teeth into and, you know, felt like that was going to be the, you know, kind of like the way Julio Jones was the centerpiece of the first full recruiting class at Alabama in 2008, that was going to kind of be the, you know, the, the, the basketball recruit that Avery Johnson hung his hat on in his first year on the job. But, you know, he's, he's done a you know, marvelous job uh, in, in year one, um, you know, regardless of how it shakes out, whether they go to the, the NCAA tournament or the NIT um, I think he's done a great job of, of managing that basketball team. And, um, you know, you look at the highs, you know, with those, um, you know, those three or four, you know, SEC games that they won in a row, um, you know, and then last night, you know, things kind of slipped away from them. But uh, you can't really take away from what he's done in, in trying to, uh, you know, get some consistency with the program. Uh, leveling things out, you know, after the way I think, you know, Anthony Grant had mismanaged the program for so many years. So, you know, it, it's been a rough week for Alabama fans. Um, you know, I think the basketball aspect of it, you know, kind of speaks for itself. But, 
you know, as far as, as Jake, you know, Jake Fromm and Cam Akers are concerned, um, you know, I think Nick Saban has kind of proven, um, you know, since 2008, um, you know, we're, we're, Alabama is not a quarterback-dependent program. You know, if you go back and look the last, you know, five or six years, you know, really the, the only two teams that have won a national championship with an outstanding quarterback, or you know, Auburn in 2010 and, and uh, FSU in 2013 with, with Jameis Winston. Um, you know, Nick Saban wins national championships with, you know, all three aspects of, of a football program, offense, defense, and special teams. Um, you know, go back and look at the Clemson game. You know, the special teams, you know, that onside kick. Uh, probably had more of an impact in, in that game than, you know, the offense or the defense did. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, you know, kind of cut the cheese, so to speak. But um, there's plenty of good uh, quarterbacks out there for the 2017 class. Um, you know, Alabama's got a lifelong Alabama fan in, down in Mobile named Jack West that's probably going to be a five-star quarterback for the 2018 class. And, you know, Jake, you know, from departing and going to Georgia and, and, and kind of clearing out, you know, that's probably going to, you know, eliminate, you know, Jack West from flirting with Stanford and some of the other programs that had piqued his interest. And that's probably going to solidify Alabama's position with him going forward. Yeah, Jack West is an interesting case. And, and this this is this is my one real foray into recruiting uh, and you'll get a kick out of this fish. I've probably told you this before, but uh, he plays with one of my dad's law partner's sons, uh, Tracy Turner, former Auburn offensive lineman. And Mr. Turner, when I worked at my dad's firm, would rave about this kid, even at eighth, in eighth grade. And we've actually had his coach on the program before. So I, I've known of this kid, and uh, I hope to see him in Crimson. I'll put it to you that way. Everything from like teammates that I've heard or parents of t- kids on that team just rave about the young man. So, you know, just just a little little like I said, little foray into recruiting. Um, I did have one question, and it has flown out of my head, so it's not important. <laughs> I, I apologize. No, oh, that's what it was. I, I'm going to use some words that you used on this show a few months ago, and they have been very common when I get the upset text messages or upset tweets from Bama fans. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, you'll get a kick out of it. As long as the angry little man, AKA Nick Saban is in his office, Alabama's going to be fine. And I think, I absolutely think that is appropriate given at least the past 24 hours in football. So, you know, I, do, do I do I wish that Fromm and Cam Akers stayed? Sure, they're two highly regarded prospects. But come at me at the beginning of February of 2017, and I'll probably be okay with the haul that Alabama pulls in. Just 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 putting that out there. So uh, if not the angry little man comment, I think we need to have an Aaron Rodgers esque relax to the Alabama fan base. No, absolutely. I I totally agree with you. And, and, you know, look, I mean, uh, you know, Cam Akers is a, you know, kind of a wildcat quarterback, you know, a la what Derrick Henry was in high school. Um, You know, he hasn't really been a running back in a traditional offense. And I'm not taking anything away from his abilities. He's a fantastic football prospect. Uh, But, you know, the, the big fish in this recruiting class, the running back position is Najee Harris out in California. Um, you know, this guy, um, and I hate to put this kind of label and pressure on somebody when they're, a, you know, a junior fixing to go through spring practice and they haven't even played their season, uh, senior season yet. But this guy has, if he ends up going to a power five school, let's just say that, you know, whether it's Alabama, Ohio State, or, you know, if he stays out on the West Coast and it's USC or UCLA, um, if this guy ends up at a school that's got a decent offensive line in front of him, um, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. He is that good. So, you know, 
Do I wish that Alabama had hung on to Jake Fromm? Absolutely I do because he's that talented. I think he's the best quarterback in the country for this recruiting class. Um, is Cam Akers the best running back prospect? No, he's not. Najee Harris is. Um, but, you know, I think we've all kind of watched how these things have played out um, since 2007, since the angry little man was hired. Um like you said, you know, come at me in, in Feb, the first Wednesday of, of February in 2017 and then complain about the recruiting class. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, w- I want to put a bow on the on the, the sad part of this show or the, the uh, I guess, pensive might be a better word, and uh, go right into spring practice. And I, I'm going to lean on you a little bit here, too, because this is a question that I got for another show and I got I, I do another show, Two Deep Zone, with Murph Baldwin, who covers Georgia, and uh, he gave me the Georgia take on this question. And, and I think you are uniquely positioned to give fans the Alabama take on this question. And it has to do with Jeremy Pruitt coming back to Alabama and replacing Kirby Smart. In that vein, what should Alabama fans expect different with the transition from Smart to Pruitt in your mind? Well, first of all, I'm excited about it because of the things that, you know, I know about, you know, Jeremy's a friend of mine. You know, I've known him for, shoot, almost 25 years now. Um, and what he's done on his own away from Nick Saban as a defensive coordinator, you know, one year at Florida State, um, you know, obviously he had a loaded deck to work with down there. Um, you know, they won the national championship. Um, but, you know, he went to Georgia and took over a challenge. Um, you know, they had kind of underachieved under Todd Grantham. Um, you know, year one at Georgia, um, you know, they went from the 85th best defense and scoring D, which is the only defensive statistic that should really matter. A lot of people look at total D, and I, I disagree with that. Um, you know, he took them from 85th to 16th in year one. Uh, in year two, um, you know, he had a, a top 15 defense. Um, and people say, well, you know, he had so much talent to work with. But he really didn't. They were very undermanned, um, you know, in the front seven. Um, you know, the, the, the way I see this marriage working is, you know, Nick Saban is always going to have a defense that's built to stop pro-style offense. That's, you know, something that he, he took away from Bill Belichick when he was in the NFL. You know, they're always going to have those those big bodies in the front seven that can stop, you know, really when you look at it, um, two or three teams in the SEC that are still running pro-style offenses. And I'm talking about LSU. Uh, I'm talking about Arkansas. Um, even to a certain extent, uh, Auburn. Um, with the way Gus Malzahn is, is, is run heavy and what he likes to do. Um, you know, it remains to be seen with, with what Kirby Smart's going to do at Georgia with his offense with Jim Chaney. Um, so, you know, like you saw, you know, this past year, the way they shut down a Heisman Trophy candidacy with Leonard Fournette, um, they're going to have those guys that can line up and hold the point of attack. Where I, where I see Jeremy having an impact on the Alabama defense is I feel like he's a little bit more creative um, on the college level than Nick and Kirby have been in the last four or five years. Um, he's a guy that likes to, you know, he, he, he doesn't mind somebody being a little bit smaller. You know, look at what Leonard Floyd did um, at the NFL Combine. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit more of a dynamic playmaker at the Jack linebacker and the Sam linebacker position. You know, guys like uh, Christian Miller, Rashawn Evans, even though they're undersized, I think you're going to see them have a more increased role. Um, You know, Ryan Anderson is going to go into spring practice, um, you know, being the the guy that, you know, most people feel like is going to nail nail down that Jack linebacker spot. Um, you know, that's a guy that Jeremy Pruitt recruited out of high school and down in Mobile. Um, you know, he, he, he likes guys that can play in space because he knows there's a premium 
on stopping these spread offenses, these, these hurry-up, no-huddle type teams, you know, like you saw. You know, what you saw against Clemson, um, the way that, you know, they kind of struggled in the first half. Um, you know, if, if you were to, you know, get Jeremy off the record, you know, he would tell you that Sean Robinson and Jaron Reed should have never have been on the field versus a team, an offense like Clemson. Um, and I think that's why you saw uh, Deshaun Hand and somebody like Rashawn Evans spying on Deshaun Watson in the second half and, and picking up three sacks. Um, you know, that was a Jeremy Pruitt input. Um, you know, I think he's a, a much more uh, dynamic defensive coordinator than a lot of other people do. Um, you know, he's proved himself away from Nick. And uh, I, I'm very excited as a, as a you know former Alabama player and a huge Alabama football fan. Um, I'm a lot more excited about what he brings to the table three years removed from being out on his own and away from Nick as a defensive coordinator versus if you'd asked me this question, say, 2012 when Jeremy was, you know, the – you know, de facto DB's coach back there, you know, coaching the safeties while Nick was coaching the cornerbacks. Um, I think he brings a, a lot of tangible stuff, um, you know, college football coaching circles. And you say, you know, who would you hire right now if you wanted to shut down and stop spread offenses? The top two guys that would be mentioned would be John Chavis and Jeremy Pruitt. Well, that that's some kind of praise, I have to say. And, and I, I had known some of that about from Jeremy Pruitt because, like I said, on Murph for the UGA, he's he's uh he's both sung his praises and scratched his head with Mister Pruitt. You know, a guy that he, he, I'm interested in seeing. Given I don't want to say I think this is an unfair statement, but given Pruitt's penchant for utilizing a little more speed and a little less bulk, is a guy like Adonis Thomas. You know, he's listed at six two two twenty eight, and when I saw that, I was just like, "Oh boy, this this could this could be fun. This will be fun to watch." So, I I appreciate the perspective, quite honestly, because I haven't watched as much Georgia, and you are obviously good friends with Pruitt. Well, you are, you know you have known of Jeremy Pruitt for a while, so that that that's really interesting that uh, that that's the case. So, can Alabama fans? dare I say, expect the Nick Saban can't handle a spread quarterback absurdity to finally die under Pruitt's watch? Or is that too much? Is that too much? Have I gone too far? (laughs) No, I don't think you have at all. What I would ask all of Alabama fans to look at, um, you know, if you're talking about a traditional – um, you know, hurry up, no huddle spread team with a with a dual threat quarterback like a, let's just say, Nick Marshall or Deshaun Watson. You know, go back and watch the, the first half of the Auburn-Florida State National Championship game. And I think this is when Jeremy really grew up as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, they they got their, you know, lunch bags handed to them in the first half. And at halftime of that national championship game, Jeremy and Sal Sanceri had a conversation. And, and they basically realized, and I think this was kind of the, um, the, the, the precipice of, of what was a little bit fundamentally wrong with, with Kirby and Nick, um, especially when you go back and you look at the, the Clemson game, uh, the Ohio State game the year before, and, you know, some instances in the past with, with Auburn when they had Nick Marshall and, and Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel. But, but, you know, Jeremy realized at halftime of that national championship game that they could not audible into the perfect play. And, you know, him and Sal Sinceri came up with a plan um, at halftime of that Auburn-Florida State national championship game. And then what they said was, hey, we can't audible into the perfect play. We've got to trust the guys to know their assignments and go make a play. They did that in the second half. And if you look at what they did in the second half, I think they gave up, oh, it was either 10 or 17 points to Gus in the second half. And then fast forward another year um, when he was at Georgia 
Um, he, he gave up seven points to Gus in 2014, uh, gave up ten points to him this past year. Um, I, I do really think he is kind of the, the kryptonite to Gus Malzahn and what he tries to do. And it's not, you know, rocket science. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a pace guy. That's the reason you saw him go out and, and pick Art Briles' brain a couple of weeks ago at Baylor. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not rocket science. You know, when, when he picks up a first down every single time, they run a, a you know a blunt play up the middle you know on first down when they go pace, um, you know where Jeremy. This is why I think it's a perfect marriage. Where Jeremy has struggled as a defensive coordinator the last three years on his own is against you know pro style offenses that run the football between the tackles. That's where he's kind of gotten dinged a little bit. Um, so you know. You know that facet of it is going to be handled by Nick Saban, and you feel comfortable with that. Where I think it's the perfect marriage is he's going to bring some principles and some concepts and some schemes to the table. Um, you know, hey, hey, Nick, you know, look at what I did with Leonard Floyd, and you know, look at these blitz packages that I did. Um, you know, with some undersized guys. That's why I think you're going to see people like Christian Miller and Rashawn Evans. You mentioned Adonis Thomas. Um, you know, there's some other guys that can factor in um, at the edge positions. You know, guys like, uh, you know, Anthony Jennings, Joshua McMillan. You've got the, the gray shirt kid, Christian Bell from Hoover, who's now, you know, up to almost 250 pounds. They've got a lot of guys that in the past would have kind of been hinpecked as outside linebackers that are kind of on the verge of being five technique defensive ends. And I think you're going to see a lot of creativity um, in 2016 with what he does with those type of players. Because when you start talking about what, what you expect out of this 2016 defense, you know, there's no doubt the emphasis has shifted from the front seven to the back end of the defense. You've got, you know, multiple five-star guys back there, Marlon Humphrey, Minka Fitzpatrick, Kendall Sheffield, Tony Brown. Um, you know, the back end of, of that defense is just ridiculously talented. And, you know, you return the four best pass rushers off of the number one pass rushing defense in 2015, you know, in Jonathan Allen, Ryan Anderson, uh, Rashawn Evans, Christian Miller, Tim Williams. So they're going to have the guys that can put pressure on teams. They've got the back-end talent. You know, what, where the big question mark is with this defense, in my mind, for, for this upcoming season, is there might be a little bit of a drop-off in stopping the LSUs, the Arkansas, and those power pro-style offenses. Well, you know, I look at I look at Arkansas. You know, just looking at those teams, I could totally see a drop off when it comes to LSU because LSU is is a quarterback away from being terrifying. You know, I feel like that's yep. been the narrative for the Tigers for the past three years. But whatever. Um, you know, I have to say, Fish, I have one other one other staff question, and this one, I think this will be very informative for our listeners because. Mike Loxley, former Maryland offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and interim head coach after Randy Edsel managed to drive his career into the ground with the Terrapins, joined the Alabama staff as an offensive analyst. So for the folks that just watch football and watch pigskin go flying, clarify what his role in the Alabama staff is going to be, and what do you think of the hire? Well, number one, I think it's a great hire. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, got head coaching experience. He's got offensive coordinator experience. You just touched on it. You know, he's coached running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers. Um, you know, if, if you can get a guy on your staff like that as an analyst, that, that's a home run. Um, you know, he brings to the table from a recruiting standpoint, 
a long, long history of relationships, not only out in the West, but, you know, up that eastern seaboard. And, you know, that's become a, a big part of Alabama's, you know, recruiting territory. You know, you've got the, the Quanjo brothers. You've got Minka Fitzpatrick. You know, you've got a guy that, that Alabama, uh, you know, Sean Hand. You've got a guy, and, and Jonathan Allen, too. Um, you know, they're both from Virginia. But you've, you've got a guy that Alabama, um, you know, two guys um, that they chased really hard and really long, and Jabril Peppers and Rashawn Gary that both went to Michigan. So that's an area that they've identified that there's a lot of talent that comes out of there. Maybe not the the numbers that, say, the state of Georgia and Florida and Alabama produce, but there's still quality prospects up there that they want to tap into. Um, you know, he's got that relationship. He's got a relationship, um, you know, with, with Todd Plank and the Under Armour money up there. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're being honest and we're talking here. I mean, you know, he was kind of considered right along the lines of Trooper Taylor five years ago as, as kind of the bag man, so to speak. Um, you know, of the East Coast up there. And, uh, you know, like I said, you know, he's another guy that has head coaching experience. Um, you know, that kind of goes along with, with Mario Cristobal and Lane Kiffin um, that are on that staff. Um, you know, if for some reason, if, if uh, Billy Napier was to get a offensive coordinator or another job, um, you know, after the 2016 season, he could he could step right into a on the field coaching role. Um, you know, and I think as, as Alabama fans, that's what I hope people are starting to realize is you know when when Nick Saban, it's kind of like him bringing Brent Key in and, and splitting the offensive line duties up between Brent Key and Nick Sa- and uh, Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, he's got a list of 20 candidates for every coaching position, you know, on the field. And when he sees an opportunity to bring somebody in like that that has that kind of experience, that has the the reputation that Mike Loxley does, you know, there's a between being an analyst and a graduate assistant. You know, being a graduate assistant, you're really kind of locked into the amount of money that you can pay somebody um, you know, what you can do, that they're on a clock as far as getting their master's degree. But hiring somebody as an analyst, you know, you've got the financial flexibility of paying them whatever you want to. You know, if he wanted to pay Mike Loxley a million dollars a year to be an offensive analyst, he can do that. And uh, you know, I think he's a huge pickup. Um, and it's just uh, just more evidence of, of the magic that is Nick Saban. Well, you know, I have to I have to I have to add as someone that is on a graduate assistantship stipend, I would I would that the the pay scale is painful for for graduate students. So, uh, yeah, I, I you know non sequitur, but still, and that's interesting about Loxley. I, I have to admit that I hadn't done a lot of reading on the guy. You know, my. My preparation for him was tearing through the news articles of the hire to try to figure out who he was and what he's all about. So that's good to know. And, and you know, something you alluded to, but I, I kind of want to just kind of tie it down and restate it so that listeners can, you know, hear it and understand what I was going. What what you said is a lot of what Nick Saban adds are guys that he can just slot in. Like you look at Mike Loxley. You just brought up the Billy Napier thing, the Brent Key Mario Cristobal thing. I, I'm a big fan of Mario Cristobal. I, I think he's done an excellent job with the Alabama offensive line. But the reality of the situation is Mario Cristobal is not going to be the Alabama offensive line coach for you know ever. Let's just go with forever. Let's not put a, a total down on it. He's just not going to be there. But with Brent Key, you have a ready-made replacement, or vice versa. Is that is that kind of what you see with how Nick Saban assembles this staff of either analysts or on-field coaches, depending on what's open? I just want to I want to get that out there and further clarify it for our listeners. Am I off base there, Fish? No, absolutely not. You know, um, you know, a lot of people think that you know Mario is is you know 
uh, you know, searching on a daily basis for a head coaching job. And that couldn't be further from the truth. He's very content in Tuscaloosa. Um, his wife's parents live in a suburb of Atlanta. So, you know, his wife and his two young boys can shoot over to Atlanta and spend time with the grandparents anytime they want to. Um, but, you know, you're kind of looking at an arms race, so to speak, to, to use a political term. Um, you know, there was a lot of people two years ago that thought that Brent Key was going to take over that Central Florida program um, from, uh, God, uh, what's his name? O'Leary. George O'Leary. And, yeah. uh, George O'Leary. And, uh, you know, they, they that, that was, it, it reminds me so much of what happened in Texas um, with Will Muschamp and, and uh, Mac Brown. You, you got a new athletic came in there. Um, he wasn't comfortable with Brent Key taking over the program. And, you know, Brent got a little bit, you know, got, got his, you know, saddle uh, a little bit upset about the whole thing because he had had promises made to him. And the whole deal kind of fell apart. Now, now, you know, fortunately, he's at Alabama. I mean, he's a kid that, you know, grew up in, in Alabama, went to Trustful High School. Um you know, I think it's a, a very uh, big pickup for Nick Saban in Alabama. You've got, uh, you know, him that, that's got all those years, 10 years worth of relationships, um, you know, in the Florida panhandle, in the central Florida area. You know, you've got Mario Cristobal that has all those relationships in south Florida. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin goes down into the Tampa area and recruits a lot. So, um you know, it's a great pickup. You know, I, the five years that I was at the University of Alabama as an offensive lineman, the, the offensive line was split up the same way that it is now. You know, we had a, a centers and a guard coach, and we had an offensive tackles coaches. Um, so it, it's kind of gone back to that. And, you know, me being a former offensive lineman, um, it was kind of a interesting thing to kind of watch unfold in the – the last 10 years as you saw college football go away from, you know, the split offensive line duties because it's it's impossible for one guy to give quality coaching and, you know, watching five guys on every rep, that's impossible to do. So I'm excited about, you know, having Brent Key coaching the centers and the guards and, you know, Mario coaching the tackles. And, you know, possibly, you know, the run blocking aspect of the tight ends. Um, I think that's the way it should be. Well, assuming Alabama can find a running back, and I think if Bo Scarborough stays healthy, heavens to Murgatroyd. That, that's that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> well, you know, Fish, there was a comment that was, that was made at the NFL Combine, and, and I want to get your take on it, and it's going to lead into a question that, I can pretty much assure you it's March the 3rd. Alabama kicks off the season in you know six months, whatever it is. You'll probably get this question a million times, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and you can throw things at me uh, after the show. And I won't blame you for it. But Cyrus Jones at the NFL Combine during his interview process mentioned that he thinks Cooper Bateman is going to be the guy for the Crimson Tide this upcoming season. You know, I have to say, when I saw, when I heard that comment, and a couple of people also sent it to me, I, I, my eyes opened, or I guess I kind, I kind of did a double take, because I've, okay, I'm biased, because I had the pleasure of interacting with Blake Barnett and his father and his mother when they've come on BAM's radio and I've had to screen them. But when you, like, Having heard that comment, what was your take on it? Is it is it that wide open? Because the impression I've gotten, again, I'm biased, is that it's Blake Barnett's job to lose. Can, can you correct my perceptions for me here? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. I don't. I certainly don't think that you're uh, off base for thinking that he's the the next guy up. But at the same time, going back to Cyrus Jones' comments, if, if you look at you know, the history of, of what, you know, Nick Saban has done with the quarterback position since he's been at Alabama. Um, you know, if you look at the, the next guy up after the last guy got gone, it's it's always tended to go to the veteran guy. 
you know, uh, you know, I, I guess the only time that it really didn't happen um, was when, you know, McElroy got gone and, and AJ came in as a sophomore. Um, but, you know, look at the last two years. Um, a lot of people thought in 2014 that, that Jake Coker was going to come in and, and, you know, beat out Blake Sims. Um, you know, it, it went to the fifth-year guy. Um, you know, last year, you know, with all the talk of, you know, how, uh, you know, David Cornwell and, excuse me, uh, Blake Barnett, um, you know, was pushing Jake Coker. Um, you know, it ended up being Jake Coker. Um, I'm like you. You know, when you look at it on paper, um, you know, Blake Barnett is, you know, and I think something else that factors into that is, you know, he's, he's Lane Kiffin's, you know, personal recruit. Um, the, the reason that Blake Barnett is at Alabama is because of Lane Kiffin. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of evidence there, like you said, um, you know, without talking to, you know, his dad, Lance, and his mom, Gina, um, you know, he, he kind of fits the mold of, of what's happened, you know, in the last two years with the quarterback race. You know, he's a, I, you know, I, I don't consider him in the same breath as, as, say, a Blake Sims. You know, he's not a quick twitch, um, explosive athlete. He, he's more like Coker was to a certain extent. You know, he, he's a dual threat, but it takes him a little time to get up ahead of steam and, and you know, to get going when he does keep the ball and run. But at the same time, you know, Cooper Bateman was the backup last year. Um, he got the start versus Old Miss. Um, you know, stick a gun to my head and ask me who I think the starting quarterback is going to be um, versus Southern Cal in, what, seven months, then I would probably tell you based on everything that I saw last year and um, you know, watching him in bowl practice work, which I got to do, I would tell you that I think it's going to be Blake Barnett. That being said, it would not shock me if Cooper Bateman was the guy. Well, that 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 is that is about as good an answer as I could hope for. Because, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I am biased towards Blake Barnett because I've had the pleasure of interacting with them, but. I think if there's one thing, and maybe since I used some of your words earlier in the show, you can you can pass this on because I know you'll get asked the same question I just asked you. No matter who starts for Alabama, the guy coordinating the whole darn thing has only, you know, only in the most sarcastic voice possible, coordinated an offense that's been to two college football playoffs, won a Bolitnikoff, won a national championship, won two SEC championships, and had a Heisman Trophy winner. So I'm not too worried. I hope it's Blake, but I, again, going back, looking at Lane Kiffin's pedigree, what he's done with this team, in two very different ways, and I'll, you know, you can shout me, shout me down if you'd like, Fish, you know, whenever, but two very different offenses, you know, Derek, Alabama, I, run past year, versus, oh, Amari Cooper's covered by the entire opposing team, he can get it, throw it to him. Which, you know, at the end of the day, that was a lot of what Blake Sims did for the Crimson Tide. So I'm not worried about it, and I think it'll be fun to watch, but I have to I have to agree with you. Uh, I think Blake Barnett, if you had to put a gun to my head, would be the guy. And uh, I'll, I'll jump on Team Barnett. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Well, no, and I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, one thing that, you know, a lot of people have, have talked about, you know, in the last week, and and I think it's something that, that is certainly worth talking about, um, because I think this thing has kind of been brewing and has been in the works for a couple of years, especially in the, in the two years that Lane's been in Tuscaloosa. But I think the fact that, you know, him and Layla finally decided to make it official and get a divorce. Um, that's a, a you know something that certainly, when you when you look at the you know the three kids that they share, um, that's that's a load off of his mind. It's something that he's had to balance um, with his wife and kids. You know, being out in California when he's been stuck in Tuscaloosa for the last two years. Um, I think that's certainly something to you know, look at and, and, and the job that 
you've already touched on that, that he's been able to do in the last two years with the, the personal baggage, um, you know, being in the back of his mind um, is, is phenomenal. Um, you know, like you said, you know, he's, you know, taking Alabama to the playoffs two years. Um, you know, I think if you go back and you look at the, the playoffs, you know, the two years that he's been the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, what has failed the team um, was the defense. Um, you know, Lane was not able to overcome um, the failure that Kirby and Nick had versus Ohio State. Um, you know, I'll go to my grave saying that, that you know, that, that play that he called after the turnover um, versus Ohio State two years ago was the perfect play call. Um, oh, you're ta- talking you're talking about, about the the Von Bell interception that if he throws it a half a breath short earlier is a touchdown. The pass to OJ Howard. Yeah, yeah, that that's the one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, and I could do an entire show on that play. That was absolutely spectacular. And if not, if Von Bell's not the guy back there, that's a touchdown. Or if you yep. know, if it's if it's thrown a half a breath earlier, or, or if Blake throws the ball, you know, a half a yard higher. Yep. Um, perfect play, perfect play call under the circumstances. It's football one hundred and one as an offensive play caller, and you know, I think Lane did everything that he could to try, to try and bail you know Nick and Kirby out of that Ohio State failure. Um, same thing went on against Clemson. Um, you know, the defense did not. Um, keep their end of the bargain versus Clemson. And, you know, Lane's offense went out there and, you know, produced points after points after points. Um, despite all the other stuff, I mean, we're not going to get into, you know, Dominic Jackson getting beat by Kevin Dodd and, and Shaq Lawson and all that other stuff. But I think the guy has proven that he is a wizard when it comes to designing a scheme to get the ball into the playmakers' hands. You know, after the 2014 season, you know, people were, you know, the, the, the pundits were saying, uh, you know, how is Alabama going to make up for losing the best wide receiver in the history of the program? And I'm talking about Amari Cooper. You know, they're just not going to be able to, you know, have a quarterback stand up and throw bubble screens um, you know, like they did to Amari Cooper and expected to make plays. Well, what did he produce? He produced a Heisman Trophy winning running back. Um, he produced the best true freshman college football wide receiver in Calvin Ridley. And I think the consistent theme in all this over the last two years was, well, what about O.J. Howard? Well, in my opinion, O.J. Howard had not proven – um, that, that he was capable of being one of those playmakers. He wasn't a Derrick Henry. He wasn't a Amari Cooper. He wasn't even a Calvin Ridley. But he showed up and decided to do it against Clemson. And, and Lane, you know, dialed him up and gave him numerous opportunities, and he produced. So uh, an offensive line that's got a couple of holes, holes to fill. Um, you've got Calvin Ridley coming back. You've got a running back in Bo Scarborough that if he can stay healthy um, is is just as good as Derrick Henry. Uh, All they need, once again, it's a consistent thing. All they need is somebody like Jake Toker to be at that quarterback spot and be able to distribute the ball to, you know, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, um, you know, I would make an argument with anybody that Alabama's got the best wide receiver core uh, going into this season. You've got two former number one wide receivers in the country in Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster. You've got a guy in our Darius Stewart that's been on the bubble and the birds the last two years, you know, taking the injuries away of, of being right there at their same level. You've got a guy in O.J. Howard that's arguably – you know, if if he's not the best tight end in college football, the only other guy I could give it to is the Butts kid up at Michigan. Um, they've got just so many weapons at the skill player level. Uh, the offensive line will be plugged and filled. It'll be fine. 
Um, you know, you go over the other side of the ball with the defense, you know, between Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt, they're going to put a quality product on the field. And, and there again, you've got a, a program um, that, that doesn't have to rebuild. It doesn't reload. They just plug and play. And, uh, you know, th- this season, um, you know, I can tell you from my contacts and my sources, um, the coaching staff did not think um, this time last year that they had a championship-caliber football team. Um, they, they were projecting off into the future, and they felt like between 2016 and 2019 they were going to win two more national championships. Fifteen was a bonus. So that's what I think the fan base has to look forward to is the talent that they've assembled and what we have to look forward to down the future with what's going on down there. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I'm still trying to process. 16 to 19, they could win two more national championships. That's uh, I, and I'm not, I'm not disputing your sources. I'm not because I, I know a few of them, so I would be stupid to say it. But I think the only thing I have to say to that is, damn. <laughs> but you know, well, I mean, think I, about it, Thomas. I mean, uh, I, on the offensive side, you know, if you've got you know, a lot of people would, would agree, some might disagree, but Calvin Ridley is, is you know, one of the top three wide receivers in college football. O.J. Howard's one of the top two tight ends in college football. I've got a personal friend of mine that, that coached the Under Armour game two years ago when Bo Scarborough and Leonard Fournette were both on hand um, – as as the you know the top two running backs at the Under Armour game, and you know my buddy told me that he would take Bo Scarborough over Leonard Fournette because of you know Bo's ability of being a not only a five star running back but also a five star wide receiver. So if you've got those weapons and you've got the the best left tackle in college football, Cam Robinson, um, you know why wouldn't you be excited about the offensive potential for 2016? Uh, certainly, I, I just I, I'm still. Uh, this is not. It's not. I realize it's not a bold claim. You know, you should you should be excited. And I, I've. I guess the thing is, it's different to be excited. Or me as an Alabama fan, it's different for me to be excited in the back of my head, knowing all this stuff. It's then okay. People that would know, like more than just I watch a lot of film and have a near photographic memory, like people that would know that like are professionally involved in the game beyond what I do are saying that. And it's like, wow, that's uh first off, hooray. I'm right. I'm not, as, I'm not as dumb as I think I am at this game, but second off, that's just crazy and exciting. And Holy crap. Can we put on pads now and play? <laughs> I'll be know. doing that in Tuscaloosa before you know it. I think, uh, what, uh, they're going to have one practice before spring spring break takes place, which, um, you know, that kind of tickles me a little bit. It's it's kind of a, you know, hey, guys, we're going to go out here and, and uh, you know, run you to death uh, the Friday before you take off for spring break. And, oh, by the way, when you come back, um, you know, you better not go misbehave too bad and, and get out of shape because we're going to kill you when you come back. <laughs> but that, that's, that's just where Alabama is as a program. Um, you know, you look at what the guys did at the NFL Combine, and, uh, you know, you, you've got, you know, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper talking about Ryan Kelly, you know, being a possible first-round draft pick to go along with, you know, Sean Robinson and Jaron Reed and Reggie Ragland. I think a lot of people are, you know, missing the boat about – but they see that, and they're like, well, you know, I saw him get overwhelmed by some – you know, 300-pound defensive tackles and nose guards, and that's a true statement. He did. But what what they don't understand is when you start looking at the difference between a college football program and an NFL roster, because of the 53-man roster, most NFL teams only carry seven to eight offensive linemen. Okay? They don't carry a two deep because they don't, just don't have the numbers. So a guy like Ryan Kelly – 
um, that's, you know, 6'4", 310 pounds. He just ran a, you know, a five-flat 40 time at the combine. You know, that's a guy that in high school, in college, and even, in, you know, once he gets up to the next level at the NFL, he's got the capability of not only playing center, he can play both guard spots and both tackle spots. So if somebody does decide to take him in the first round, um, that's not a wasted draft pick. That's almost like taking three offensive linemen in the first round because he's got the athleticism, the length, the athleticism, and, and the wingspan of playing all five offensive line spots at the highest level of football that there is. And that's that speaks volumes. You know, absolutely. And, and it's funny that you mention Ryan Kelly because I love mock drafts. I think they're fun. Like, I don't take them insanely seriously, but I like to see where, you know, the consensus or the the thought process is. And the Ryan Kelly pick, I've seen him mocked to the Broncos at 31. I've also seen Derrick Henry mocked to the Broncos at 31, which I think it's it amuses me just in a kind of, you know, just have a hearty chuckle that two Alabama players – are brawling potentially over a draft slot. And if no matter who the Broncos select, if it's Kelly or if it's Henry, you know, they're going to get a great player. And it's not just the Broncos. I'm not saying they're the only ones in the, either the Henry or the Kelly sweepstakes. That's just what I've seen recently. And it's just, it's, I think it does speak volumes. You're absolutely right. Just to echo what you're saying, because, you know, for going back to your talent statement, the the let, let's just put it let's air quote the down year for Alabama football that was thought to be this past season. You're still going to have anywhere from three for sure and maybe up to five first round draft picks and a down year. So you know that that to me puts a context around how good this team, like how much how good it was last year but how even potentially better it could be going forward. So, so you know, I just that that's crazy and exciting and awesome. I'm I'm a happy Alabama fan this evening. It's your fault, Fish. <laughs> well, no, and I want you to understand this, you know, from the context that I'm saying that from. Um, you know, you've heard Nick Saban, you know, harp on this over and over again about, you know, how this was the most enjoyable team you know, for him to coach. And, you know, I kind of live through, um, you know, what he's talking about. You know, when we won the national championship in 92 and, you know, there were a lot of high expectations for 1993 and, you know, everybody and their brother got hurt. And, you know, we certainly didn't have the depth nor the talent stacked up, you know, across the board. You know, looking at Alabama on paper, um, you know, for 2016, you know, the only really two weak spots that I see from a depth standpoint are, are the quarterback, the running back, and the tight end position. And actually, the quarterback position has a lot of talent. It's just not proven. But, you know, the, the, the tight end spot, you know, there's not a, a proven commodity in the sense of a Michael Williams or a, a Travis McCall that, you know, you can turn to as your bell cow on, on third and six and run slant 36 or slant 37 behind them and expect them to, you know, dominate a 285-pound SEC defensive end run block. Um, that being said, there's some young guys there that I think that can grow into that role. But, you know, when you start looking at, you know, what to expect out of this team, in 2016, I think it's, you know, the, the the carbon copy of what we were looking at this time last year. You know, can you find a guy that can put the offense quarterback in the right play, um, not make catastrophic, you know, mistakes, um, you know, at the quarterback position? It, it, it's kind of a cookie-cutter recipe that you see – Nick Saban repeat over and over again the longer he's the head coach at Alabama. You know, it's not a quarterback-dependent program. 
It's, hey, we've got the guys on defense. We've got the guys on special teams. Um, and I think that's the, the, the best thing that Lane Kiffin has brought to the program is, you know, hey, you know, don't, don't, you know, I want you to put the onus on me. You know, let me find the right quarterback to throw bubble screens to Calvin Ridley and Robert Foster. You know, let me find the right guy to hand the ball off to Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris. And, oh, by the way, um, you know, I can run reverses and and uh, scene patterns to O.J. Howard till the cows come home. You know, uh, Lane Kiffin has, to me, in my opinion, the easiest job in college football. He's got so many weapons at his disposal. Um, no, no wonder he wants to stick around and be the OC at Alabama for year three. You know, where is he going to go to the NFL or another job, maybe even as the head coach in college football, where he's got these type of weapons to pad his resume? I couldn't have said it better myself. So uh, I think, personally, we should end on that note. It's been a heck of a short hour. I, did, I, looked down at, I just looked down at my clock on my computer, and I was like, damn, we've been going for an hour. Must have, must have been a good show if, if I lost track of time. Well, Fish, before we get out of here, I really want to thank you for stepping in. I know it was a little bit last minute, and your insight was you know, very appreciated. I had a couple of people send me text messages or DMs on Twitter that this is just absolutely fantastic. So thanks so much for being with us tonight. Hey, thank you, Thomas. I enjoyed it, buddy. Well, that was uh, William Redfish Barger. Fish, I'll probably shoot you a text after I close this thing out. But uh, thanks for being with us. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this edition of BAMS Radio. I know it's a little short, but like I said, with just with just one of me and not able to pull a bunch of guests together, I hope you accept the fact that I brought a pretty decent guest in, in my mind to toot my own horn. But that is it for this episode of BAMS. Thank you all so much for listening. I promise you will not hear my dulcet tones much next week because Carrie and Drew will be back. But having said all that, for myself of Touchdown Alabama Magazine... And for Redfish, thanks for being with us one more time. That's it for this week. Have a great rest of your week, and roll tide.